Hello and welcome listeners to the Let's Talk About Grief podcast. If you've followed or listened to previous episodes, you'll know I like to offer hope by sharing my guest stories with you. You get to hear how they have navigated their own grief, which can be both helpful and healing, knowing you too can move forward after a loss. If this is your first time and you don't know me, I'm Andy Butte, your host and author of Grief's Abyss. And this is part of my mission to help demystify grief. Welcome, listeners. On the show today, we're going to be discussing a really, probably a rather contentious, difficult topic. But it is one that Canada adopted. We're going to be talking today about assisted suicide. And that's when a person chooses their exit, as is accepted in Switzerland or made, as it's known here in Canada. How does the person's decision affect their family? And how does their family cope moving through their grief? These are just a few of the questions that we'll be discussing with our guest today. And I'm thrilled that we have Colin Kingsmill with us, and he's uh, willing to share his experience. Uh, Colin was a successful banker in Switzerland where he lived with his family, and he's since moved, leaving everything behind, and he now resides on Canada's East Coast. He also is a successful transformational coach, so it'd be curious to see how he made that switch. Welcome, Colin. Thank you, Anne. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So welcome. Yeah, this is a a rather sensitive topic, isn't it? Mm, sure. That yeah. I don't think too many people are sharing about it, but the grief that is felt can have a bit of lingering repercussions. Would that be a true statement, Colin, from your experience? Yeah, the grief does linger. I don't know if it's connected to you know, a decision to do made or not. I think, I think grief lingers because nobody teaches us, teaches us about it. Right. It's not, it's not taught in schools. It's not promoted. um, It's not part of our culture. I don't think to speak about it until it's there on your doorstep. Exactly. um, You have to, you have to deal with it. So yeah, it definitely lingers. My God. We're going to cycle back to discuss that in a little bit more detail. Sure. I'm curious if you could go into more of your personal journey and what led you to leave behind a successful career in banking. Let's start. Let's just dive in there. Sure, sure. Um, so I I grew up and uh, decided that I. I decided that I needed to be successful. I needed to be all of the things that comes with success. Um, I think as a reaction to the childhood that I had, which was rather bohemian and hippie and laid back and a bit artistic. And I thought, well, I don't want any of that. I want 
a suit and tie. I want to go to university. I want to be successful. And I want to have the right cars and the right house and the right trips and all that stuff. And so I pursued it all with vigor. Um, you know, I, I went to Simon Fraser University. I got a triple major in political science, history, and French. Not because I thought I was super smart, but I really didn't know how to decide <laughs> which one. I liked them all. So I took them all in a, in a triple major format. I moved to, to Switzerland and got into Swiss banking. Uh, I was wearing a suit and tie, and I thought I was absolutely fabulous. And um, in the sort of decade that ensued, I checked everything off of the list that I had um, wanted to accomplish. So, you know, success, I had a successful business, I had 25 employees, I had the right cars, I lived at the right address, I had the right watches and clothing and furniture and vacations and friends, you know, it was, you know, Easter in Saint-Tropez and Christmas in Saint-Moritz kind of thing. And um, I woke up one day, it was April 6, 2001, and I had a bit of a spiritual awakening. Um, we can get into that uh, now or later. Um, but I had an experience that showed me that this particular life that I was leading wasn't the whole story. Mm. And I, I got the impression that I didn't have to achieve anything in this particular lifetime. So the experience was some past life regression. It was unintentional, but it happened. And I saw all of these narratives, all of these stories in great detail with me in them. So I came out of it and thought, oh, okay, well, there's no rush. <laughs> I don't need to do all this right now. Um, Interesting. Because we, we live on a wider spectrum. And I just, I was just like, well, I'm sad and depressed and anxious and unhappy, and this isn't fulfilling me. Um you know, you couldn't buy enough cars or things or toys or shopping in Milan to satisfy me. Yeah. And that that awakening that day just kind of brought it all home. And I thought, well, I don't need any of this. And I gave everything away. I mean, literally like Cartier watches to my cleaning lady, mountains of designer clothing to my colleagues that were going to stay in banking. I'm like, well, here, <laughs> you can use this. Yeah. And I moved I moved back to Vancouver, uh, British Columbia and just started from scratch uh, from with nothing. So we're really getting off topic, but you raised yeah. such an important point. Here was you the epitome of what people have in there. It's everybody's dream, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But it's not the things that bring us joy. It's the feeling behind the success. And it sounds as yeah. if that was possibly missing for you. Well, 100%. So I was trying to achieve success as a compensation for something, right? Yeah. So I was, I was trying to achieve success as a compensation for some sort of core wound of unworthiness, right? Mm. So I believed that I was not worthy. And therefore, to be worthy, to be accepted, to be loved, if I did all of these things and had all of these things and, and performed in a certain way, then I would be loved, then I would be accepted. Yeah. And uh, that proved to be wrong. Um, Absolutely, because discovered. it's 
feeling unworthy, that's something we need to do from the inside and decide <laughs> we are worthy, we do deserve. Right. Well, this sounds like uh, an amazing topic for another day. <laughs> we could do another another one exactly. on it. And this is what happened, listeners, when I did the pre-call with um, Colin a little, it's about a month ago, wasn't it? We yeah. totally got off topic. But <laughs> I'm doing this as a way to cushion what it is we're going to be talking about because it, I recognize it is a sensitive topic and some listeners may wish to drop off the call now because talking about suicide, let alone assisted suicide, might not be something our listeners truly want to listen to. Sure. If you are interested please stay with us because we are going to sort of go into this a little deeper you knew about your mum's decision that she had an exit plan because this is something that people in Switzerland and that's I believe where the you and the family grew up is that correct yes partially between Switzerland and uh, the west coast so between both of them yeah Okay. So how long had mom been interested in her exit plan? I think my mother was prepared for about 15 or 20 years. Um, so she had signed up to this thing called uh, the Exit Society in Switzerland, which is a voluntary nonprofit organization where you you become a subscriber and you pay a very nominal amount every every year it's 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 tiny and um when the time comes exit will help you leave and they do it very methodically but i think she just knew that she didn't want to be a burden on anybody and she didn't want to suffer and she um she didn't want to end up sort of a vegetable in 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 a bed for years, and uh, so she decided very early. She must have been in her fifth, early fifties, and she said, "I want to leave in a dignified fashion on my terms." Um, I didn't know that though for twenty years. Like I, I, I wasn't really informed. I knew in the last um, year that she had done this a long time ago. So it's sort of in the last year of her illness, I discovered that she had been prepared and planned for this. So it wasn't a spontaneous decision. Mm -hmm. And that in itself, did that come as a bit of a shock? Because when did mom first get her cancer diagnosis, Colin? She was diagnosed in 2016. Uh, no, no, gosh, uh, no, gosh, or earlier, earlier, earlier. It was uh, 20, 2013, I guess. Okay. 14, 15, 16, 17, 17. Yeah, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. So you knew mom had, was it a, considered a terminal cancer at that point? She got, uh, she had lung cancer and they did, a, they did an operation. The operation was very successful. So really initially in 20, 2013, 2013, 2014, um, 
everything was fine. The operation was a great success. Everybody was very happy. And for two or three years, she was, she was okay. She came back clear all the time. So everybody was feeling, you know, quite positive about it, that it was going to be okay. And then I guess it was 2016, early 2017, um, the cancer came back uh, with a vengeance really from one day to the next and wow. went uh, outside of her lungs and into her lymph nodes. And I think once it was, it really, really spread quickly. And mm-hmm. I think uh, immunotherapy at the time was becoming a little more popular, but that wasn't going to work. It, it it really came back with a, with very, very quickly in 2017. Oh gosh. And is this when you discovered that she had, signed up for what you term exit i think she had told me it was it was a little bit before maybe she had some suspicions about not feeling good but she did tell me within the year within about a year she did she did tell me and i thought i mean it's very universally accepted in switzerland there's two ways to go there's exit which is uh this subscription and you have to have three doctors sign off and it's it's a it's a it's a very um, very well organized program, and then there's dignitas, and dignitas is more uh, pay for play. I mean, it's ten thousand Swiss francs, and you can decide that you want to end your life, and you don't need all of the medical um, advisors to to tell you that it's okay. So two two quite different systems, but generally accepted in Switzerland. So I thought wow, you're taking everything into your own hands and and you want to have a dignified departure and you don't want to end up like your mother, you know, in a care home that is is suffering. And um, she was very organized. I mean, everything was perfectly, perfectly organized. So when she told me, I wasn't really surprised because it was kind of universally accepted there. So when you had the news, it wasn't a shock because of the the way it was readily accepted in Switzerland. Yeah, the news wasn't a shock until I knew that there was a date. Um, that was the shock. That was a bit of the that was the shocker. Uh, so at the beginning of 2017, she got re-diagnosed. It wasn't looking good. They said she sort of had maybe had six months to go. Um, so so that's when she said i'm going to do you know exit and it will be prior to me being completely incapacitated and stuff so that was that was kind of the shocker the reality that it was so close but not the concept okay cuz all of a sudden you've got a date mm. and you know whereas even with your mom had cancer, it would be termed a sort of an anticipated ending. But we don't know the date. So right. the hope is sort of there. But then mm-hmm. when you've got that end date, there's a finality, isn't there, to it? Mm-hmm. Is that what you dis- you meant by it was a shocker? That that part was a bit of a shocker. When um, and typically with exit, they don't they don't let you just go when you decide. It has to be clear to both your your the exit doctor, your family doctor, and a third party psychiatrist that 
it's close to the end. It's close to time. And letting you live any longer would be really undignified for you and against your wishes. So three medical professionals decide, and it's it, it there's a window of, you know, four weeks to six weeks where you can say, okay, we're, we're ready. And um, I think we had about a four week, a four week window. Um, and that was a bit like, oh, wow, it's going to be August 29th. You know, the yeah, day after our, our holiday that, that, that brought it, uh, that brought it all home. It's like, okay, we have to organize flights and, 9.30 a.m. on August 29th is going to be the day and the time that it happens. And then the, the police come and then the funeral thing comes, truck comes. And it was all very systematic. But, um, yeah, that, that moment of knowing the day and the time was a little bit of a shocker. That was for sure. For sure. It would be. You don't. Yeah. You, it's one thing to be aware. But then when you're given the sort of potential date, it's a little harder for your feelings and your thoughts to catch up with themselves, would you say? Yeah, I suppose it's like it's like knowledge and embodiment, right? Like you know something is going to happen versus you really feel it in your whole kind of <laughs> kind of body and soul. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it the the day and the time and the meticulousness the meticulousness with which it was planned mm-hmm. and everything associated with it um like they bought an apartment for my stepfather they partially moved him out he didn't want to come back to the house again uh, that same night so it was all very well planned out in uh, ahead of time to make it make life as effortless and easy as possible for him to continue you know they created a whole new apartment he she stocked the 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 cupboards and the pantry and the fridge so that it was weird it was like she was almost still there um i'm i'm just wondering if by going through all this it gave her a purpose she was working towards something yes she knew her death was imminent but by planning it to to the degree you're sharing um it almost sounds as if perhaps she had a purpose and some enjoyment in and knowing that who she was leaving behind was going to be well cared for i think it gave, gave i think it gave her great joy to know that she was in control, she was planning it, all of the details. Were, I mean, she even did things like, you know, she she gyprocked the attic because she thought it would be better to sell the house if the attic was actually finally finished. You know, and they'd had the house for 40 years. But, you know, um, I think she found solace in, yes. And and I and I I remember seeing her checklist. You know, she really couldn't write in the end, but she could read it, and she had her checklist. You know, and it's like, I don't know. I just it just seems it seemed so lovely that she could just m- manage this as if she, like any other part of her life, right? I mean, she obviously didn't manage her birth, but she managed every other part of her life with, you know, tasks and objectives and to-do lists and, and results. And 
why not this? And she did it. It was, it was very well managed. <laughs> was and that, I think she enjoyed it. it. Well, it certainly, that's what I was sort of um, thinking myself for sure. Knowing that she was okay with all this, did it give you some comfort? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it it gave me just immense, not joy, but I guess comfort and solace and uh, sort of gratefulness. And um, it made it so much easier for me that we, we stayed up all night the night before and we laughed and we spoke. At least I tried to understand and giggled and, and, um, for me, it was, it, it, it was just wonderful knowing that she was in control. It was the way she wanted it to be. She, she left in, you know, she had a chaise lounge in her sunroom. She was surrounded by her flowers, the music she liked. Her best friend was there. Like, I couldn't imagine a more beautiful way to say goodbye and see you next time kind of thing. It yeah. was, it was, it, for me, it, and I think for everybody involved, um, having her go that way, as opposed to seeing her kind of disappear in a, in a hospice or mm-hmm. disappear in a, in a nursery home or disappear some other way because the end would have been really awful. I mean, it was just yeah. consuming her. Yeah. This was beautiful. She could still walk around. She chose the clothing she wanted to wear. The shoes, like everything was her choice and she was happy about it. And the last thing she said was, thank you so much for letting me do this. Those were her last words. It's like, thank you for letting me be in charge of this. And I thought, as if that was so important to her. Yeah. She wanted control to the very end for sure. What a lovely memory, though, that she gave of you. As you were saying, you would have been watching her disappear and become a smaller form of who she had been in your life. And now that you can look back and you can see her choosing her outfit and. (laughs) laughing and uh, like it does sound surreal when you kind of go back and you you boil it down eh now I think when we were talking it does kind of it does kind of yeah it does kind of sound surreal um but in a good way like I'm I'm thinking about all those moments now and I'm really smiling because she left in joy and in gratitude yeah. Um, notwithstanding all the pain. So left joy and gratitude. What a beautiful thing to sort of say. I know when we spoke um earlier, you found her passing when she did take her last breath to be spiritual, but it also brought you to a very rough time in your life can you share the two because at the moment we're leaving mom in joy and happiness and then all of a sudden I guess reality sinks in yeah and I think I think uh, so I kind of see my life in two big chapters right that first one that we spoke about at the beginning was me as a young 
child or an adolescent, a young adult, kind of going, well, I want the antithesis of what I had before. So therefore, I'm going to spend, you know, 15 years going to school and getting an MBA and becoming an entrepreneur, all that stuff that we yeah. that we spoke about before. I wasn't living in integrity, right? Mm. And I think what I not I think I know what happened when mom left was I realized I was I was still not living in integrity. I was trying to live up to some kind of standard that I thought she had for me. Okay. Those unspoken beliefs yeah. we sense as children, but nobody's ever said anything to us, have they? Exactly. And honestly, I think they were probably all in my own head. Yeah. Um, the stories and the expectations and the narrative that I'm supposed to do this and be this and have this and do this. Even though it was different than that period, right? It was mm-hmm. different than the call. I call it sort of, sort of seeking fabulous success era. Okay. I was, I was still trying to go to a destination that I thought I needed to get to. And then when, when mom left, it was like, oh, wait, how much am I doing for those unspoken expectations? That were probably yeah. just self-induced. Yes. Um, so I did have this sort of again, like another sort of spiritual awakening or another opening up of of um, my life story, mm-hmm. thanks to the end of hers. So since then, my story has been all about living in integrity, living in authenticity, discovering who. I really want to be and what I really want to bring to the world and what I guess my purpose is on, uh, on this planet. So, um, and also I was a, I was an only child of an only child. So I think, you know, I think that played into it too. There was really nobody, <laughs> there's really nobody else in the scene that I was held in that sort of position of, of a so mother. So there was no aunts or uncles or cousins to sort of help you through this period. You were alone. Yes. Yeah. I mean, look, gosh, I still have my father. I have my stepsister. I have my cousins in California. But nobody, you know, right there kind of going, um, it's here I am. Kind of gonna um, be okay. It's yeah. Got you kind of com- words of comfort in that. Yeah. How did you cope? Oh, I didn't. Um, <laughs> well, I I don't. I didn't. I I started drinking too much. I started taking anti-anxiety pills. Um, uh, I I certainly I was depressed. Uh, I think I took antidepressants as well. So. There was a phase of, I need coping mechanisms. Mm. And I I had them all. <laughs> um, but I, I, in the, in the, and it was also sort of uh, COVID, uh, COVID also happened. So there was a lot of isolation and we were living okay. in Italy at the time. It was like, it was like COVID happened uh living in Italy where it was very acute there and it was sort of this dystopian world right yeah. um yeah. and at that moment I said I need to go home 
um, not just geographically, but also sort of, you know, metaphysically. Mm-hmm. It sounds, uh, Colin, with the death of your mom, there was no nothing to tether you to where you were living. Um, what I mean, it almost sounds as if your life started to unravel yet again for you. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So in 2001, I hit a wall, right, and said, mm-hmm. okay, let's start from scratch or let's start again, right? And in 2017, uh, the same thing happened. It was like, oh, okay, let's start again. And uh, this time I've started off uh, in a at home, at peace, feeling integral, feeling authentic, and really embodying much of the things I've been learning about and reading about for the last 20 years, you know, whether it's spiritual awakening or whether it's meditation or mindfulness, all of these things, mm-hmm. I finally embodied them. Um, took but it took that sort of yeah. untetheredness and, and unraveling for you to find that. And that so often yeah. does happen when our parents die. We've never lived life without a mom or a dad, if we're lucky to have them into our elder years. And when they're no longer there, it's almost as if the child in us becomes, throws a temper tantrum and who's going to take care of me? And what about me? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's a very good analogy, actually. Um, I probably did have a bit of a temper tantrum, you know, and... um, all of those coping mechanisms dulled that that you know the pain of hitting myself up against the the walls i suppose um but um but thankfully i i got over them all and, and through you that are, you're here i'm curious to know what your biggest challenge was when you were going through that because it sounds as if you came to terms with mum's choice she wanted to mm-hmm. die dignified and have control over her own death sure. you could yeah. say what was the biggest challenge in all of that for you um i don't think there was a, there wasn't really a challenge pre that day like because it was so well organized and so full of love and and um it was just kind of beautiful um, the whole thing and how it happened, beautiful and dignified and caring and everything. It was afterwards. And I think this is, uh, we, we hinted on this before that nobody prepares you for grief, I don't think. Um, and I guess the biggest challenge was really the solitude. Okay. You know, um, yeah, I think it's the solitude. And I suppose I could have reached out to some support groups. Um, but again, we're not taught that, or I wasn't. And We think we have to muster on and, and cope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think the hard part was just the solid, sort of that solitude and, oh, I have to figure this out on my own. And mm-hmm. 
I'm by myself and I, I, I wouldn't have known where to turn. Um, yeah. That, that's, that was the hardest I'm challenge. going with this, Colin, is how you are explaining it is beautiful. And I really honor and thank you for going there with me. I'm hoping it can help so many others who are being faced with their, their parents or, or their spouse's decision to uh, have made or I don't I, I don't know how many countries now have signed on for assisted suicide. Mm-hmm. And I've heard from a few people that have said it was the best thing. They loved it. They got to sort of hear they had a eulogy before the day they they got to hear more about mum's life and then from other people who are really angry at they didn't have more time with the person because they chose that end date which you Mm. knew as you said it was coming. Yeah. You just didn't know. But that puts people into such turmoil, believing that they could have had more time with them. What might be some of the thoughts you could share? Look, I think I think I ponder. I would suggest that if somebody is angry because there wasn't more time, Perhaps there was some kind of trauma or something that wasn't spoken about, mm-hmm. right? Um, because if to me, when you say I don't have enough time, means there's some kind of message or some kind of communication or some kind of closure that you may have needed to have. And if you're in that state of mind, I would speak to a trauma and loss therapist. Yeah. Because, because, and I've done it. Um, because I don't, I don't know if I told you, but remember I got those letters from my mother, not there were from my mother to her best friend last September. And I should have never really seen them. They were a gift from my dad. He said, look what I found. And they reminded me of that childhood that wasn't the easiest, right? It was traumatic for a child. Yeah. So, so so I think if there's anger about not enough time, it means something was unresolved and a trauma and loss therapist can really go back and see what you need to unlock, what you need to, to crack open and what you need to heal and maybe forgive that mm-hmm. child or the parent or the people that in the relationship. So, so that's what I would do. What I'm hearing you say there's unfinished business and that's where I, I didn't, I could have had more time with them in the hopes yeah. that they could perhaps in that, that space of time uh, completed it. Yeah. There's that, or the, I mean, there's also, you know, th- there may be some, uh, some ego and some selfishness involved. Okay. I mean, like I, I certainly know my stepfather didn't want my mother to go. Uh, he was very opposed to it and made her, I think, you know, I don't think that was an easy ending for those, for them. Um, but that was more his stuff. That was his, exactly. You know, um, his, his selfishness. Mm. So I, I think either way, it's a, it's a, if you're feeling this way, it's, 
it's a time for introspection, a time for healing, a time for some analysis, and a time for some professional help. Don't do this by yourself. Yeah. Right. Was there any um, psychological help for the family to sort of help process mom's decision as you were going through? Um, I think we could have asked for it. I think yeah. exit is very much there when you're a member every year, right? Mm-hmm. They're there with support and with tools and with with uh, with um, options. Okay. I, I didn't feel like I needed them, um, but I know they were there. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you a very sexist question. Uh, this no was just raised on a conversation I was having with a gentleman yesterday. Do you think it was the fact that you're a male that you didn't seek help? Had that got anything to do with it? Oh, probably. Look, I know that men um, men are suffering today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do a lot of work around healing and health and transformation, and we just did a men's journey. Um Men today are um, are really struggling yeah. with things things like this, asking for help, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm certain that that part of that sort of stoic white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, uh, I'm okay, <laughs> um, was part of my equation too, undoubtedly. Yeah. yeah. Undoubtedly, because we're again, we're not we're not talking about we're not talk, taught about grief, but we're also not taught how to be men in 2023. Yeah. Um, and it's complicated. Yeah, it is because so many men have been raised to see tears and emotions as a weakness, whereas mm-hmm. now I believe, well, I know myself, it's an act of courage and resilience to be able to be that way in front of somebody else it right to me takes tremendous uh, yeah resilience and willpower to be able to allow yourself to be so vulnerable when you you're feeling the emotion thanks for is that some of the let me finish that sentence thanks for going there with me yeah men today are dealing with a lot and they are. um and i think uh i think it grief can only compound that those challenges of you know performance and position and uh, expectations etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah uh, when a lot of the, a lot of us are overwhelmed and full of anxiety and depressed and not know don't know what to do with things like you know, toxic masculinity and how did, where did that come from? You know, so, um, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Very challenging, very challenging times uh, to sense make uh, today, let alone deal with grief. Is that something, if you were able to go back and talk to the younger you that you would recommend seeking help? Do you might that? uh, 100%. 100 percent uh don't go this alone you're not by yourself you have your tribe get some help there's professionals out there sense making is very hard to do our biology is not was not ready for this right Mm -hmm. um 
and uh, and we live in very complex times. So reach out and get help. Find your tribe. Find your community. Because uh, yeah, you know we all we know all the reasons. Right? We but all need very that very. Sure. We all need it. And that's why I say for my coaching clients that it's great that they're reaching out to me because grief needs support. Uh, it's not a go go alone kind of a. It's too complex, no. isn't it? For sure. I think it's too complex, and and uh, I always say to my coaching clients too, or or the the people that I work with is is I don't want you to have to suffer as long as I did. We can yeah. accelerate this. <laughs> like, yes. yes, I can help you. I can guide let's, you. <laughs> let's get let's get you through this faster than it took me because it took me two two sort of midlife crises, right? <laughs> Early life crises and later life crisis. So I've had a couple. Exactly. Um, oh my goodness. I just have a one other question. I I'd like to sort of um, ask you, if I may. Of course. Do you think experiencing and witness of your mum's assisted suicide has any influence on your work as a transformational coach today? Mm, that's a good question, Anne. Um, I think it must, but it's also combined with my belief about the universe, about spirituality, about energy, about where we go, um, my belief in heaven. Uh, so, and then the fact that you know, recently she, when we had our conversation, she came back and said, I'm here um, that day, which is kind of ironic, but, um, but yes, because I really, I saw how the spirit left the body, right? In that last breath. Mm. And I'm like, well, you haven't gone anywhere. You're, you just you left this thing, <laughs> but now you're over there. So yeah, I felt it. I felt it that the her spirit left, but it didn't leave. Uh, it just left that particular. It just body. left the 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 um, earthly body. They say, isn't yeah, it? yeah. I mean, well, and, and I felt that, and I saw it. So yeah. So that helps you with the work you're you're doing today is having that understanding. Yeah, I it's interesting. I haven't thought about it in that way, but I I you you certainly nailed something that now that I think about it, yes, it has an impact. Um and it has an impact in that I really do believe we all need to rediscover our humanity our our commonality as opposed to our diversity and all of the labels and the the way whether it's countries or borders or genders or labels or flags or whatever seems to have seems to have created more separation as opposed to that that oneness Yeah. Yeah. yeah so i'm i'm a big believer in one humanity uh also because of that experience. Yeah. Would you like to share with the listeners what was going on that day when 
you felt your mom's presence? Oh, it was so crazy. I mean, um, so for six years, I've been, I kind of always knew that I kind of always felt that she was there, you know, and guiding me. And I've, I've come home to Canada and I have a red barn like I did when I was five years old. And so there's all these things that are like, well, how did all this happen? But um, the the day that you and I had our conversation, I was woken up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning and it, it was my mother's voice. Like it wasn't a dream. It was, I'm here. And um, it was unbelievable because I only remembered it when you and I started to have the, to, to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. But it was really interesting because after so many years of, you know, we lived for 12 years in Europe and, um, and uh there was this homecoming in the last sort of 18 months and here I am, I'm at home. I'm in my space beside the ocean and nature and the forest and my barn and all these things that are deeply nourishing to me. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, I'm here. And then you and I spoke um, about these very things. And I thought, and it was the day before her birthday. And I thought, wow, well, there we go. Hello universe. Um, sending you know big messages talk about flags um yeah that was a pretty pretty cool thing to happen in may that uh it was her birthday she said hello i'm here and you and i had a conversation about it there was this sort of trifecta of um proof of heaven i guess exactly thank you so so much for this very authentic conversation. And I hope, listeners, it's brought you some solace if you're experiencing some of these hard conversations that may be coming up for you. Colin, you wrote a book, yeah. and I don't know the title of it. I'm I, I'm writing it. Uh, it, writing the developmental, it. The developmental editor has told me to go back to the drawing board on a few things but uh, it's called fearless and it's about yeah it's about crossing this bridge from fear to bliss um and uh none of us deserve to live in psychological suffering and fear is a big component of that and that is so true the psychological suffering, the stories and the thoughts, as you mentioned, living life to somebody else's dreams that you thought would make, would bring you the love and attention that you needed. Yeah. We truly bring our own suffering. Yeah. So I'm on this mission and I'm, I'm like rediscover your humanity live in integrity, uh, become fearless so you can thrive and, 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 and live again in freedom. Um, so hopefully, hopefully our conversation has helped some people with a little bit of that. I sincerely hope so too. When your book is out, let's connect Uh, again. Absolutely. We can, we can, uh, we can have a, have a session catch up on on that i'd love that that'd be great okay thank you again for being willing to to go to this very very sensitive topic as i've said 
Well, listeners, that is a wrap. We're out of time. If you've enjoyed the conversation, it's hard to say if you've enjoyed. If you found the conversation uh, insightful and helpful, please follow us because we're dropping all kinds of topics onto the podcast in an attempt to help others navigate this very, very challenging times. Thank you for being with me today, Colin. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Anne. It's been a pleasure. Well, listeners, that indeed is a wrap. Be sure to follow us by clicking on the link and you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops. And if you are feeling inspired, please leave a review. And if you are indeed grieving, please know you don't have to feel alone in your grief, but reach out. As a coach, I'm more than happy to chat with you on how coaching can both support you in your chaos and pain without forcing you to endure your grief-stricken world. You can contact me at anne at understandinggrief.com or you can visit my website at Understanding Grief. I'm Anne. Bye-bye for now.